Hello and welcome to another edition of Fides Podcast. This is Jerry Serino and I'm your host and I'm here with talent on loan from Rush. I'm also here with a great conservative voice, a uh, former anchor and uh, someone who is just very active in the conservative movement, uh, Jessica Rivera. Uh, Jessica, thanks so much for being here. Well, thank you, Jerry, so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be able to uh, do this podcast today. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. And I wanted uh, Jessica to come on uh, just to talk about a lot of the issues of the day. Uh, as is usual, there are some really hot topics that are that are out there right now, politically speaking. And um, I just like to talk about them myself, like we're having a conversation and uh, someone like Jessica, who's been around a long time and who's done a lot of really great things in the conservative arena, um, I thought she would be excellent to talk to. So let's start with a couple things. The first that's, it's hard to say, like, what's the hot thing in the news? Because there's like 10 things in the news, but let's start with January 6th. Um, There's the hearing going on right now in which it's supposed to be bipartisan, which it's obviously not. Tell me what your take is on January 6th. Was this some insurrection trying to conservatives trying to take over the government prompted by Trump? What, what, What happened? Well, first of all, I would never call it an insurrection. Um, I know that that is a word, uh, keyword that the left or people who are anti-Trump like to use because I think they think that's really going to bring some weight with it. But I think they've blown it out of proportion. Um, Yes, there are some people that did get a little wild and crazy. I would call it a riot to some degree. Um, Now, who was involved exactly and who was behind it? I think um, it depends on what side of the aisle you kind of sit on, uh, whether you believe there were plants, all of that stuff. Um, I kind of think that that's just your political. If you're conservative or if you're a supporter of Trump, I think that's where these um, keywords start coming in and people use them. So I wouldn't personally call it an insurrection because in all honesty, if that was an insurrection for America, it was pretty pathetic, um, in my opinion. Um, I do think it got a little out of hand. I think that there possibly were some plans to try with some cer- certain groups. But as far as an insurrection, I wouldn't call it that. There are people who did breach the Capitol um, in some locations. I do believe, though, on the other hand, that a lot of people were let in to the Capitol, too. Uh, So I think it kind of just depends on uh, what you're looking at, what news you're getting it from. Um, And as far as the hearings go, I think what's interesting is that, um, and I don't know if it's just maybe our young population right now, probably not sitting like on a, by their desks, uh, listening to these hearings by any means. I think they have much better things to do. But I will say this, for people who are invested in these hearings, be that conservatives or um, Democrats, I think people really think that these have like legal standings. And the reality is, as you and I both know, they're not. These are very much just things that Congress have. They hold these hearings and it's a procedure so that they could possibly change legislature for the future. Um, And at this point, I think, well, when they first started, I think if anybody remembers, even the the head of the committees were even saying that uh, they had doctored some of these text messages. And I thought I would give it like a really good go, like when it first started, I thought, well, you know what, let me see, let me hear, let me see if they have any substantial uh, evidence that they're going to bring. And once they said that, it's like, 
who would continue to listen? Because when I went to go look at the doctored text messages, and I'm pretty sure uh, you probably did yourself, uh, they doctored them saying that they did it to save time um, in the procedure, which, okay, given the benefit of the doubt. But when you go and look at it, they actually doctored it and took out the context, which is completely important, obviously, in something like this, especially if you're calling it an investigation. Um, so I think at that point, it became a joke. Um, and I kind of thought that they would fizzle out, but here we are. And I really, really think, in all honesty, this is the Democrats' last, kind of one of their last things that they're trying to get through uh, because of desperation of the 2022 um, midterms that I think they realize they're probably not going to end up winning. Yeah, yeah, that that's the assumption. And I, and I, I feel it myself that that's likely to be a absolute blowout. But, you know, of course, we never want to get presumptuous here at all. But is their plan, do you know, or your thoughts on are they looking to use these hearings, not just for political reasons to try to make people look bad? Are they trying to do something in regards to Trump to maybe make it make it so he can't run again with some type of charge? Or, or what do you think? I, I absolutely think that they're going to try and push uh, that far. And I kind of questioned that a little bit because I thought, well, how could they really get to that point with um, congressional hearings? But they can, um, I guess, turn all of this, quote unquote, investigation over um, to the criminal side, and then they can allow them to make their own decision in the federal government. But the other day I did hear Hillary Clinton kind of egging it on. Uh, and I don't know if you heard her kind of saying, well, you know, if we don't stop it now and then he has a chance to get in again, what is he going to do at that point? I mean, he really has to be stopped. Um, but, 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 you know, and she's pushing this narrative, which is not surprising. But I think that's what they're trying to get at. They're trying to paint it so that it seems as if Trump had this huge plan and all of these people were pushed by him to make him look as bad as possible in the media. I don't know how much worse they think they can make him sound, but they're trying. And the people who believe it, it's just kind of silly at this point, because whether you like Trump, whether you supported him, whether you think he's a good person or a good leader really has nothing to do with it. It's the fact that if these hearings are so important and many of these congressional hearings are very important because, like I said, they do um, lay out future legislation uh, for our government. So they're very important. But they've made a mockery of these hearings, I feel, uh, in the hands of the Democrats, because what they do is they basically just put on a show. And really, with the state of our country right now, really the state of the world, but mostly America, inflation, gas prices, just how horrible the economy is, them wasting time on a hearing like this all day long just shows and proves to the American people that they are not obviously working on other stuff that they should be working on. They're not working on anything for us right now. They're wasting their time with these hearings and that's why people are calling it a show. Yeah, it's definitely a show. And, and I think you know, your point about uh, the fact that they're trying to cover up for, I, I haven't seen anyone, not, not from the very beginning who condoned any, bad behavior on January 6th. And as you said, of course, there was some. We saw it on video, whether they were instigated by by plants or, or whoever, it doesn't matter. You still don't behave that way. But there were no weapons. There was no one that was seriously injured. The only person killed was one of the protesters by a police officer there who 
got away scot-free, no no issues. But but yeah, it, it's it, no one has condoned any of this. Why are we having hearings on it? We know that the people who did something wrong should have been held accountable, and that's that. But yeah, they're making this this whole issue. And so you point out gas prices, inflation, and that was kind of my next area to go to. So great segue. Everything is being blamed on Putin, right? They even named it, dubbed it the Putin price hike and the like. Now, I, I, you know, they're not fooling me. I mean, they're not fooling you, and I don't think they're fooling most people. But talk about the economy right now and the impact of inflation, gas prices, and if it's not Putin, what is it? I will say that I don't think it is Putin. I think Putin has been dragged into this because they have to um, have a person to blame or a country to blame or something to blame. And Putin is the person right now. And he's an easy person to hate, right? Obviously, Putin is probably not a good guy uh, by how he has ruled in Russia. So we know this. But as far as um, gas prices and inflation, I really, in all honesty, I kind of looked back on it and I thought inflation, high gas prices have happened in other um in other administrations, not this bad, but in other administrations. So what creates this? Does the administration really have that much control over it? And so I thought, well, there could be some stuff that they have control over and some stuff that just isn't in their control. And it kind of just takes a little bit of time to kind of um, work those problems out. But when you critically think about this administration, either they have the worst luck in everything that they plan to do, or it's planned. There's only there's really only one of those options. And at this point, I believe that this is a setup uh, with the 2022 elections coming up, uh, a loss of control. And that's really what this has to do with. I think everything has to do with right now with this administration is control, control of the people, control of what you do, your rights, your freedoms, where you spend your money uh, and things of that nature. And I also think that this this administration has kept or thinks that keeping the American people in a stressed state and continuously creating problems that the everyday person can't necessarily figure out when they get home because they're stressed out. They are trying to figure out how to pay the bills or trying to figure out how to put food on the table, raise their kids. It is continuously going. So they don't really have, you keep somebody in a stressed state, they don't really have a lot of time to really sit down and have some quiet time and really think out things. So what they do is there's all of these problems uh, that are being created by the administration. For instance, one of them, the baby formula. Yeah, we may have had some sort of a shortage um, or some sort of an issue that came up with it. But how is the solution for that to bring it in from other countries that don't go through our safety, our safety nets? Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't make any sense. And the reason is, if you think about it, they have to create this any sort of problem um, which wasn't there. So people get so used to like the uh, rat race of trying to, you know, go to work, pay for gas, you know, the, you know, pay the bills. And so when there is some sort of a relief, it's not really a relief. It's literally uh, smoke and mirrors. There was never mm -hmm. a problem to start with. But if you keep somebody in a stress state, they kind of lose track of that and they forget that this is kind of, there really never needed to be an issue with that. Now, do I think that inflation or gas prices can't, you know, possibly rise, um, whether that be a Republican or a Democrat administration? Absolutely. I think sometimes economies, you know, there's just things that economically, things that we go through 
But in this situation with this administration, when you critically think, and you don't really have to be a mathematician or economist to figure it out, it's just, it would be too coincidental for them to get this much (laughs) bad, too much of a bad rap. So it just seems like there's no way they have fallen. You know, all of this stuff has just negatively happened out of the blue. It has to be something that is a bigger plan. And then they say, well, you know, Biden doesn't seem to come to the podium and say, well, he doesn't seem to come to the podium and really say anything to the American people Mm -hmm. these days. But he doesn't ever come with any sort of hope or glimmer of hope. It's always like, well, you know, we've got to, you know, it's like darker days are coming. So to me, I feel like it is a plan for a bigger situation that's happening now. How that works out, I don't know, because we don't know how the 2022 midterms are going to end up. But I really think that they're just throwing it all in right now, whatever the plan is to keep. And really, in the end, I think it's just control of the American people, where they spend their money and our freedoms, really, when it comes down to it. Yeah. Well, so it really takes you into the the question of, you know, you had said that they, it's intentional and, you know, or it's either tremendously coincidental or it's intentional. And when I hear someone like Janet Yellen, the secretary of the treasury say that she, she just didn't expect this kind of inflation. She, she used the word transitory. And then all of a sudden, literally everybody in the media was using the word transitory, a word no one ever used before. Right. And you know, Janet Yellen is an economist. She was at the Federal Reserve. She is a smart person. She has to know, and so do all these people, that when you when you put massive, massive amounts of money into the money supply, which is what they did, and part of that was during Trump via COVID, but whatever, it, it, it occurred, you're going to have inflation. The opposite occurs when you have, you, you reduce the supply of oil, which they did. This isn't happenstance. As you said, it's not a coincidence. No, we reduce significantly the amount of oil produced. What happens? It, the price goes up. So it's like they they create these problems and then they offer themselves as a solution and they act angry at the problem. Like, oh, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. And yet it's like, no, 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 you created it. And now you want to offer the solution. They're it's nuts. Absolutely. So I want to um, talk to you about uh, something else here, and that is uh, the issue of guns. It gets so convoluted. It's really just like January 6th. It's just like inflation, the economy in general. There's so much confusion put out there, so much misinformation put out there about all these things, and it becomes an emotional issue. We're facing that right now with threats on the Second Amendment. What is your take on the Second Amendment and what Congress is at least trying to do right now? So the Second Amendment, I'm a huge supporter of it. Um, It's constitutional. I think whether you support the Second Amendment or whether you support um, purchasing or owning your own gun or not, I don't think that really should uh, factor into this when it comes to constitutional rights for everybody, especially law-abiding gun owners. Now, I'll say that you know, obviously I'm a big supporter, me and my husband, we do own guns. Um, That's just something that we have decided works for us. Now, for people who do not want to, I think you have that right. But the problem with this gun control is the fact that they want to point it towards, you know, all of these school shootings, which 
don't get me wrong, they're tragic and anything that is ever going to um, attack our kids or kids being murdered for no reason, absolutely, that is when it becomes emotional for a lot of people. But I don't, there is a basis for why this is happening. And realistically, it when, you, when it all boils down to uh, when what you could look at the basis for a lot of this the crime in general, it comes down to the reality that, first of all, our mental health in this country is the, the way we handle mental health is absolutely out of control. We went, instead of kind of having it under control and possibly making a little bit of changes so that maybe people weren't locked up forever, as extreme as it was back in the day in these mental health, instead of doing that, we completely said, you know what, everybody should just be free. And that's not necessarily the case in societies. So I think that's a huge issue, mental health. Another huge issue is my husband's a bondsman here out in Denver or in the state of Colorado, and he's been one for many, many years. And so I help out a lot in the office. So I see a lot of these charges or when people are calling for bonds and things of that nature. And I will tell you that they, in most of these Democrat-led states, like California with Gascon, um, here with Polis as the governor, they let people out. And these are people who have not traffic tickets or, you know, these are huge, major crimes and they, they're repeat offenders. They will let them out on dollar bonds Mm -hmm. and expect them to come back to court and, um, you know, be in front of the judge. Well, we know that that's not going to happen. The majority of time they go, you know, they skip, but there's nobody out to catch them. And so they can continue to repeat offend whatever their issue is robbery, you know, carjackings, whatever it is. And so I think there's so much more that goes into this. And I think right now with Congress, what they're trying to focus on is they want to paint it as if, you know, anybody who's a Second Amendment supporter is the issue. When in actuality, Second Amendment people don't want to lose their rights. They will do anything they can to make sure that they can keep that. And you can't keep that if you get in trouble with your gun. And I don't think a lot of people, but they're also, I think Congress is preying on people in major cities who maybe aren't supporters of Second Amendment, of the Second Amendment, or who've never owned a gun. And they're very afraid of weapons. And so it's an easy thing to kind of put in people's head that there's just people walking around with guns, just shooting people when that's not the reality. The reality is the majority of people who own guns, um, own them legally are very, very usually responsible. And the last thing a second amendment owner or a second amendment supporter uh, or a gun owner wants to do is ever shoot to kill anybody. That's really the last thing you want to do, but you want to have it just in case. And in all honesty, I think the Democrats and anybody who isn't a Second Amendment supporter and just people who are against our country would like to see us have that freedom taken away from us because it would be much easier to control the population that way. And once again, it boils down to control. Yep. Yeah, there we go. Another another issue of control, uh, which it's it seems to be the theme. Uh, so the uh, maybe the final area, depending on um, how long we spend on this, is uh, there was a congressional race in um, in S- South Texas in which uh, the Republican candidate, Myra Flores, a Hispanic. I don't fully know her her descent. Um, 
think she's she Mexican. Looks exactly born. like you, by the way. I was going to show my screen, <laughs> and I'm like, you guys look the same. So I, I know you have a. So it looks like a Mexican um, last name. I don't know if that's your main name or what. But you know, here you have a Hispanic woman in a normally strong, strong Democrat part of Texas. And when you look at, she won, right? We all know that. When you look at the issues, and I'm going to actually share my screen real quick here. If you look at what she puts on her website, right? She's not just like a Mitt Romney kind of Republican and she pandered. She was, you know, she pandered to the Democrats or a strong Democrat area. No, no, no. She went strong Republican, pro-God pro-life, pro-family, pro-America, pro-Second Amendment, right? Pro-law enforcement, pro-border security. She's from Mexico. They tell us that anyone who has any type of Hispanic descent hates border control, pro-veterans, jobs, oil and gas, healthcare. You know, so here's someone who, who didn't go to the middle, didn't try to pander. She said, I'm conservative. I'm going to articulate what that means. And she won. Tell us what you, what you make of a race like this. So first of all, congratulations to her because um, she's obviously the American dream. If you really think about it, she was born in Mexico, um, came over here, is legal, was able to get involved and make changes that she wants to see in this country for the good in support of America. And here she is. So congratulations to her for that. And you know what's surprising, not surprising, but sort of, is the fact that instead of hearing from the Democrats, because they they love to point out female, you know, your, your sexuality, your color, your everything, but I didn't see anybody congratulate her um, for reaching this feat because she is a minority female who would never have had, I mean, in a hundred years, in a hundred, not a few years, it's been a hundred years since they've had a conservative or Republican candidate. So to say that she has accomplished something and she is the first at something, they sure really passed that up. But obviously we know the reason why it doesn't fit their narrative. But I think, you know, I, and that's another misconception. I think that I come from Los Angeles and uh, this is my maiden name, Rivera. My dad's from Puerto Rico and my mom is Mexican and Greek. So um, yes, I'm very Hispanic and I was born and raised in Los Angeles. And you know, one thing coming from being a minority and coming from that childhood and the experiences that I have, I think that the problem is that unless you get out of those situations and you see how other people live, the Democrats or liberals they prey on minorities, be that Asians, Blacks, Hispanics, of all kinds, to always make sure that you're aware that there is always somebody who is after you. And that person, that boogeyman that they like to always kind of uh, point blame on, put blame on, is always the white man. And you finally realize when you get older that, well, I did, that it's not really, that's not really how the world works. You know, you, you know, it, it's not necessary, but they want to make everything about color and race and all this. But when it comes to Myra Flores, I mean, I think um, that part of, you know, South Texas, 
they're just ready for a change. And I think more than ever right now, statistically, I think Hispanics um, in this country are turning more and more conservative um, if they were on the border uh, or if they were on the um, kind of the cusp of deciding whether they were Democrat or Republican. I think this administration has kind of re- made them realize that that is what they want. They want border control. And what's so interesting is that these are the people in Myra's district that deal with this on a daily basis. They deal with that crime that comes into their communities. They deal with those drugs. They're the family members that have drug overdoses. Um, of course, that does spread into the country, but they're the first to kind of see that wave. And so they live it. And so um, it'll be really interesting to see what she can get done there um, because obviously that community is tired of the former you know, leadership and they're tired of the Democrat or liberal ways. And they've obviously spoken. So congratulations to her. And it'll be interesting to see what she can get done in that area and for those communities. Yeah, it, it's inspiring. You're, you're absolutely right. Her life is inspiring. And instead of you know putting it down, the Democrats should look at this and, and see. Yeah. Now, you know, now, the question is, is an, and I believe this about the, the Black community in this country, I believe that they as a whole, obviously there's millions of people of various descents and, you know, everyone has their own feelings and beliefs, but I believe that as a whole, that, that African-Americans are actually conservative. I believe if you going back to Myra's platform, pro God, yes, pro life, yes, pro family. Yes. I believe they're pro America same with Hispanics. And, and I think that they've it just become sort of like a cultural thing to vote Democrat, but they, you know, never really, you know, had anyone really go to them. Like I believe Trump did and say, look, we're all in this together. Being pro-family, pro-life, pro-police is good for everybody. So do you think that the Hispanic community, and again, I think it's even unfair to we use the word Hispanic because you just mentioned Puerto Rico, Mexico, you, Cuba, Colombia. You, you're, these are different countries, right? Like yeah. I, I'm half Italian. You know, I got some Irish and German. Nobody, I don't call myself European American. Yeah. Right. We, we, so do you think that your community, Myra's community, is overall more Republican at heart than their votes have shown in the past. Yes. And I do believe that for the Hispanic um, community in the U.S., whether that's from the Caribbean, South America, Mexico, wherever, um, I do believe it. And I will say that because not that all those countries are exactly the same, but I will tell you, traditionally, Hispanics are hard workers. They don't want handouts from the government. Um, They want to be left alone. They want to be able to enjoy their families. It is very much, and I think the Black community too, but I think it has been ingrained in those minority communities that your vote doesn't count. You're one person. What are you going to do? Kind of hopeless, helpless. And so you, they make it seem as if you have to look to these smarter, whiter people to make decisions for you. And it's such a lie. It is really a lie. And I'll tell you this, 
in Los Angeles, obviously Maxine Waters comes from there. She doesn't even live in her own district anymore, but that's beside the point. But if you go during uh, an election season, you will see, and this people should, I don't know if I've ever spoken to anybody in her district that is in support of her. So I don't understand how this lady keeps winning these elections. Um, and I think for some of these people, some of these uh, politicians who've been in for so long, I think their districts really need to be investigated. Um, I'm not saying that there is for sure anything happening, obviously, because I do not know. But I will say, I mean, people despise her in her district. So I don't know how she continues to win. Uh, she never goes back there. Um, anyways, so there's so many problems. And but when it's ingrained in you when you're young to think, oh, politics and that that's you know, you leave that up to Washington, D.C. You leave that up to them. And people don't realize the most powerful what if you really want to get stuff done in this country. Yes, Washington, D.C. is a very powerful place, but it shouldn't be like that. Your own community, local politics, people need to start getting involved and realizing from the ground up how this works and realize that as a community, people have your voice means a lot in this country. And that's how they get people to kind of back down and to just continue with their same votes or in Hispanic or minority um, cultures. You know, another thing is um, you're kind of the belief is that you're you're born into what you're going to be forever, whether that's Catholic, whether that's Democrat. And that's just it. You never change those. But if that's your really, you know, we have choices when we become adults, you can continue to stay what you want to stay, or you can get out there and look and see, is there another, uh, is there something else? You know, do I want to live in this city? Uh, do I want to stay in this community? Do I want to still vote this way? Does this align with what I truly believe? Um, but yes, to your point, as far as minorities, um, Blacks, Hispanics, Asians, I think most Americans, if we sat without Washington being involved, if we sat around a big table and kind of conversed, I think more than not, we would realize that we all want similar lives. You know, we all want to be able to go to a job. We all want to be able to raise our family in a safe community. We all want to be able to protect ourselves. We all think that bad people, criminals, should be locked up. There's maybe those a few that don't believe like that, but I think in general, Americans are really more alike than they're not. But Washington, D.C. has put us all at odds with each other, and we're basically fighting a fight that they really have. We're fighting it out, and it's not our fight, really. It's been in the making for a long time from Washington, and like I said, and it'll always be what I believe is the culprit. And it is that they just want control, the more control, the more powerful, the more money. Um, and so hopefully more people start waking up and realizing that um, whether you liked Trump or anybody who thinks like him, the reality is, yeah, he probably was a nationalist. But what's wrong with thinking that your nation is the best and you want your nation to be the first just like at home, you know, at a person's house, you know, they obviously want their home to thrive. So why is it that we can't have that belief yet still help other people, other countries humanitarily? But when it comes down to it, we should be first. 
just like every other country should want to take care of their own first. I don't know why that is something that has turned out to be bad or racist or not the way that things should be. But in reality, that is really how the majority of people in America and in other countries for their countries, I think, really think and really would agree with that we should be first. Yeah, we absolutely should. And the leaders of Mexico should put Mexico first. The leaders of Canada should put Canada first, right? The leaders of my city that I live in and you live in should put our cities first. That's their job. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think, you know, your point about, uh, you know, in the beginning about conflict and keeping us all stressed out and, and stuff, you know, they love and thrive those that want power and control in Washington. They want people that look like me and look like you to to dislike each other or to think or they want people that look like you to think that I'm the enemy. Right. Even there's this mysterious white person out there that's holding you back. And, you know, it's not the case. I absolutely agree. I think that people don't really care what nationality people are. And most of the time don't know. You could have told me you were Sicilian and I just said, OK, you know, I mean, it, what does it yeah. really matter? But, and, but and I think I agree. When people are raised like that. Um, and that's the reason why when people minority, when other people see minorities and they're old, like uh, teenagers or, you know, young adults and they have these chips on their shoulders and they haven't lived very long. It's because of that. It's because it's been ingrained in them that there's always somebody coming after you. And if it's a white person, there's nothing good that they want from you. They're going to try and, you know, take advantage of you and this and that. And so, of course, you you are raised like that. You're going to be in a stressed state when you get out into the world because there's a lot of people you have to deal with. Um, so I think that's where a lot of that comes from. Yeah. Yeah. Bad things are going to happen to all of us. All people that are white get fired from a job. Yeah. You're right. Bad things happen to white people, too. And yes, there is there are bad people out there. And, you know, that's that's sad and unfortunate. But everything bad that happens or any kind of struggle that goes on in your life isn't because of your race. But uh, so, yeah, really interesting conversations, really great stuff. Uh, Jessica Rivera, thanks so much for being on. It was great talking with you. I I hope to have you back uh, as uh, to talk about other issues that I'm sure will be up in the news, especially as we get closer to the midterm election. So Jessica Rivera, thanks so much for being here. Yes. Thank you, Jerry. I really, really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. It was a lot of fun. And uh, thank all of you for listening to this episode of Fides podcast uh, with Jessica Rivera. Uh, You got to check her out. Uh, uh, Just look her up on social media. She's out there and she has really great opinions and thoughts and uh listen to please listen to all my podcasts and all the different podcast apps on youtube on rumble and on wednesdays at 7 p.m eastern on rightamericamedia.com so thank you again and we'll see you next time